You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hi, friends. Welcome to the ninth chapter of The Bookstack. I'm Annie. I'm Sydney. And I'm Nia. In this chapter, Sydney, Nia, and I are sharing some of our favorite novels that take place in space or have some connection to space. Using space as a setting or an element in a story is nothing new. Authors have been doing this for centuries. People have been entranced by the idea of life existing outside of Earth for centuries. We can't help but wonder what is out there when we look at the stars. As less wonders are left unidentified on Earth, it is easy to put those imaginative skills somewhere else and the questions begin to arise. If we have water on our planet, there must be water on others. What are plants and animals like on a warmer or cooler planet? The past has shown that humans are explorers, and we have already explored most of our planet. So many plot lines bring humans to a new level of exploration in space. The possibilities are endless because the only limit is the author's imagination. Think of all the worlds and organisms in Star Wars. That was the imagination of one man that has now become a favorite source of entertainment for thousands. We as a society like space and the idea that someone or something else is out there just waiting to be found. And sometimes it is up to someone else to help us imagine what those things could be. That is where stories involving space come in. The authors help us imagine what could be just beyond the stars. So Sydney, what do you have to discuss with us today? I am very excited about this stack because the first book I'm introducing is called I Am Number Four by Pitticus Lore. It started getting published in 2009. This is a giant series. Yeah, I think I own most of them because I had a student who read I Am Number Four and said, so do you have this one? And then a month later, do you have this one? What about this one? What about that one? So I think I might now own them all. Nice. Yeah. There are seven books in the series proper but there are a number of other books in the same world. There's a trilogy that takes place after this series ends. There are three books in a series of lost files that creates kind of a bigger compendium adding to the history and the lore of the world. This is truly a series that you can get lost in. And with it being urban sci-fi, I don't know if that's really a term, urban sci-fi. I'm going to make it, it a is. term. We're making it a term. It is, it a is term. now part of the lexicon. Welcome, urban Urban sci-fi, sci-fi. Mm-hmm. yes. because it genuinely is urban sci-fi you can see yourself in this world if you're reading it it's it's something you can feel yourself potentially being a part of the author is actually a pseudonym for a collective that was originally three people and then became two they made a movie of this first book also called i am number four that followed the book surprisingly well we've talked in previous chapters about how poorly some of the movie adaptations follow the books (laughs) This one. I had no idea it. this was even turned into a movie. The movie, I know this is going to shock you because I've said I've said this so many times, but the movie is what caused me to read the book. No, I know. I've heard there's that so many times. Wrong with that though. <laughs> no, there's nothing not. wrong. With that. That's it's a great way. It's a great way to find new books. I, I can tell you that uh, every time there's a movie coming out, I tend to find out first because the hold list blows up for the book. Yeah. And it ends up with hundreds of people waiting on a book that hasn't mm-hmm. been out in a while. And you're like, oh, they must be making a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, there mm-hmm. are times where I've had movies that I get really disappointed that aren't books, mm-hmm. like the Jupiter Ascending film. Oh, I was okay. really disappointed that that is not a book because it feels I'm surprised like there is isn't. a rich enough history that there isn't a book. Like it is just huh. a movie. I know. Okay. But the I Am Number Four movie was actually ended up being surprisingly close to the book which was exciting cool but it's why I got into the book series and I am really sad that they never continued the series in film but I'm glad that it's a book series so that I can see how everything ends and I say see because 
you know, you picture it in your head as you're reading. Yeah. But every book has a number in the title that ends up playing into the plot of that book, which I found really fun. So this one's called I Am Number Four, and it follows the character whose name is Four. The premise of this book is that there are nine gifted children from the planet Lorien that escaped with trained guardians, not their parents, the actual term guardian before the destruction of their planet by a rival alien race called the Mogadorians. The Mogadorians are hunting down these last nine children who can bring about the resurrection of Lorien because of their abilities. But the catch is that they have to kill them in a specific order. Each of the children were named only with a number, and this first book follows Four, who also goes by the name John Smith. And at the very beginning of the book, Four feels the death of Three and realizes that he's next. Wow. Okay. Yes. So I really like that premise. Yes. And that sounds really good. The authors do a really good job of world building without falling back on tropes or easy way outs or different. Like there are times when you're like, okay, but as a premise for urban sci-fi, it's, it does a really good job of world building within the constructs of our world. So that there's a suspension of disbelief that could actually take place. Okay. Now I said it was urban sci-fi and I've been talking about the planet Lorian and Mogadorians. The whole book series takes place on earth. They have escaped to earth and are hiding among us. All nine of them? All nine. Okay. Well, yes. Five but, of them? But, but the first three have died. Right. And, okay. um, but the, the rest of them are all on planet earth and the Mogadorians are now trying to find these remaining children who are now all teenagers because they've been hiding for 10 years and are starting to be found. So this series is fun for a lot of reasons. It has well-written action and world building that's strong enough to create plausible reasons for the chain of events that actually occurs. There aren't, you don't have all of these adults that are, that happen to be gone for one reason or another that make the teens have to be the ones to save the world. Like, that's so frustrating. Like there are, there, the there adults are, are just gone. They're just, they're just missing, but this they're one just has. Gone. This one has adults that are part of it and there are there are plausible reasons why teenagers would have to do certain things and why they rely on adults for other things. Like it feels more, I don't want to say realistic, <laughs> but I'm gonna. It's it's more anchored in a reality we yeah. can quickly there is, hop into there is and identify. A, there is a better suspension of disbelief than there are in some other yeah. books. Okay. Later books connect well to the foundation set in the first book. And while John's powers in later books almost feel like a cop-out, of finding ways to challenge our protagonists. We're not going to get into that because that is well down the series line. The series after book one starts getting told from multiple perspectives. So book one is just four telling the story. Mm-hmm. And then as new books come out, four is telling the story, but six is also telling parts of the story and nine is telling parts of the story. And they're introduced really slowly. Cool. Yes. I like that. And it's always told from first person. Okay. But the entirety of this first person story changes in different chapters or chapter by chapter. And the only way that you know the narrator has changed is because the font changes. And the font changes are very subtle because everything is still a serif font. Every every font is still very easy to read. That is awesome. Wow. Okay. So it's like- I really like that. I mean, it's even more subtle than going from Times New Roman to Garamond. Like it's even less of a shift than that. But there are these very subtle font changes and it honestly became something I looked forward to to trying to discern. And it gets Mm -hmm. really interesting with later books when you have four, six, eight, and nine telling parts of the story. There are some really fun plot twists in later books that you won't likely see coming. And the books are only a couple of hundred pages. So if you get one and you get sucked in, if you feel so inclined, you could finish one on a Saturday. Nice. So 
I really like this series because it is fun and fresh and something that hasn't been played with to death. And I like the idea of in later books, you find out that that powers have been sent to humans as well. Not a big spoiler, but because of that, you can see yourself being part of this world and wanting to be one of those that inherits powers. Like you can see yourself in this series, which I really liked. The only critique that my student had for this was, well, there were two critiques. The first one was, why was the planet world called Lorien? Because she thought, well, that's just not creative. Like you named the planet after yourself. That's mm, not okay. But (laughs) (laughs) there's actually, there's actually an answer to this. Can I tell you the answer? Yes. And then I'll tell you my second reason. Go. Yeah. And then let's see if I can come up with an answer for that one. Probably. Okay. So the author is a pseudonym named Pitticus Lore. Yeah, I didn't know that. That makes a difference. In later books, you find out that Pitticus Lore is actually one of the original founders of the planet. That was it, her other problem that the author wrote themselves into the book. But it's it, but it's actually them trying to build worlds because it's three different authors that are writing under one yeah. pseudonym. So mm. it's it's them telling the story of their planet. Okay oh so the authors are part the authors are three different dudes that are telling that are all writing under the same name and they're writing their own story they're writing collectively to tell the stories of these characters so like they changed like when narrators changed the author has changed but they're part of the story okay right they're part of the history they're they're, right right they're they're, part of the history it's not veronica by the time the story comes right right coming in telling a story about nope these characters it's I was part of the story and now I'm going to tell the rest of it. Right. It was, uh, this is that the story that happens after my death. Like, Okay, on. that makes a big difference. Thank you for yeah. clearing You're that welcome. Up. You're so welcome. The second book in my stack today is actually two books. I picked Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow by Orson Scott Card. I'm not going to talk about the whole series. I'm just going to talk about these two books. Good call. Thank you. Good call. <laughs> Ender's Game was published in 1985. So before I was born, only by a little bit. I didn't realize it was that long that ago. I know, right? I thought it's it was held up well. It 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 has withstood the test of time. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Huh. That's the the true mark of a good book, right? That it withstands mm-hmm. the test of time. But Ender's Game was published in 1985. Ender's Shadow was published in 2000. So there is a bit of a gap, which makes sense because they both start off four book saga. So Ender's Game was a four book saga. And honestly, I loved Ender's Game. I did not get into or enjoy the other books, so I just quit. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. I, I did the like same. It. I really, really like Ender's Game. That was the rest the of end. them, not so much. That yep. was the end. I feel yep. like it was a satisfying ending. I could yep. be done. Mm-hmm. Yep, hundred percent. I did not enjoy the sociopolitical arguments that get into the world in book two. Didn't enjoy it. Not a fan. So we're just going to ignore them. Ender's Shadow is a parallel novel which is why I'm listing the two together. As parallel novels, they tell the same story from two different perspectives. Ender's game follows Ender Wiggins, who is a brilliant boy who was sent to battle school in space to help save the planet from an alien race called the Buggers. Ender's shadow follows the life of the orphan Bean, who ends up getting sent to battle school shortly after Ender and gets put into Ender's battalion. Bean makes Ender, the child prodigy, look like adult. Some of the action in Ender's Shadow is a little too implausible, but it's still a really fun re-examination of a sci-fi classic. And these two books are one of maybe a handful that I loved as a teenager that I then went back and reread and still loved as an adult. Okay. I find, I find 
that a lot of the books that I loved and kind of romanticized the memory of as a teenager, when I went back to reread them as an adult, I was like, oh, <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> okay. Teenage self. All right. Teenage self. What That's was cool. I thinking? Right. I was angstier than I thought. But as in, you know, I was in two very different places in my life when I read these books as a teen and then as an adult. So I picked right. up I picked up on very different things as an adult than I did when I read them originally. And I definitely see how much I romanticize the memory of the book. Mm-hmm. Like the number of F words. I I could not have told you that the book swore yeah. when I read it as a teenager did not occur to me did not remember that there was swearing in the book didn't remember so much swearing so much did not remember how much violence there was in the book mm-hmm. and as I went back and read it as an adult I was not only reading as an adult but as a teacher and I'm reading that going that would never fly like that is never that's never acceptable actions for a teacher like what are they doing what is happening so I definitely approached it with a very different light mm-hmm. but I still really really love both of these books and enjoyed them. And actually I have a student whose nickname is Bean, not by me. I didn't name her Bean, uh, her family did. But because her name was Bean, I was telling her about how there's a book where the main character's name is Bean, but it's based off of, it's a parallel novel to Ender's Game. So she should read Ender's Game and then read Ender's Shadow and compare the two. And she's like, well, I'm not really a big reader. Like my family is, but I just don't really like books that much. And she goes, I hate to tell you that as my English teacher. And I was like, that's fine. But you know, if you, if you feel so inclined, you should probably read this book. I think you'd really like it. She devoured both of them <laughs> and has come to class with a book every day since then, because I got her started on a series that she loved and she started to find books that she enjoyed. So you found her draw. I did. I did. And all it had to, all that had to happen was her had, having to have a name that was, you know, the name of a character. Kind of makes you wonder if that's where the <laughs> nickname came from. Uh, I don't know. Um, I know that her parents are the ones that owned the book. So she just had to go into her dad's library and take it. Yeah. All fingers are pointing towards that's the reason. <laughs> the third book is also an Orson Scott Card book. Orson Scott Card is my favorite sci-fi author. So I picked another one from him. This one is called Children mm-hmm. of the Fleet. It was published in 2017. And if you go onto Goodreads or Amazon, it's listed as being the first in the Fleet School series, but the publisher canceled the series. No, the, the guess. So oh, it's so sad. That's so the, sad. The belief among the internet peoples is that some deals for some of the TV show or merchandising somethings fell through. And so because that fell through, they just didn't complete the series. I loved the series. I loved the first book. And I think that Orson Scott Card should pick it up. Mr. Card, if you're listening, please finish the Fleet School series. If you are a friend of Orson Scott Card, please call him and tell him <laughs> to finish the Fleet School series. But it's now considered a standalone book because the series was canceled. And it's set as a part of the same world as Ender's Game, which is what drew me to it because I loved that world and I wanted more of it. And I think that's why I didn't enjoy the other books in the series because they leave Battle School and they go to other places. And I wanted more of Battle School, but it largely takes place at Battle School after the end of the Formic Wars. So it's it's long after Ender and Bean have been at Battle School. And it follows this fun new character named Debit Ochoa. And it would have been a really fun series. And I'm still holding out hope that maybe Orson Scott Card will decide to write the rest of the series and I'll get to see what happens to Debit as he tries to follow his dream of becoming an officer in the international fleet. Annie, what about you? So I will have to go and find that book because I didn't realize that Orson Scott Card was still writing. Yes, I have. Makes me wonder how old he was when the first one, when uh, Ender's Game came out. 
I have three series that he's put out recently that are on my Kindle. Really? That are just like, he's, I think the pandemic did something and he is just popping out mm, books. I'll have to look those up. That man is a writing fiend. Well, as he should be, his books are really good. That's true. So the first book that I have is Illuminae by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. This was published in 2015. It is a series of three and a half books because Not another half. that's the world we live in. You write three books and then people want a 1.5 and a 2.5. So this one has a 0.5, one, two, three, and then a 0.5. Uh, the last book was published in 2020 and that was the 0.5. Okay. So the whole series has been done for a little while. They just added something in 2020. And the whole series is called The Illuminae Files. I've only read book one because of my life and how complicated it is for me to read with children and all the things I have going on. And so I mainly read on my phone. And the format of Illuminae does not work well on a phone. It does not work on a small screen at all. So eventually I'll read the rest. Uh, But for now, I've only read the first book. It's a young adult book series that takes place on board of a spaceship in the year 2575. So we're looking to the future here. The story is told through case files and recovered documents after an event has happened. So a plague has broken out, a war is going on. And then after those two things are over, these case files come out. Okay. And that's why it doesn't read well on a phone uh, because it's hard to read transcripts and schematics of a ship on a phone. So you really have to read this one in person. And with any YA book, the teenagers yep, are tasked with solving the mystery. People are lying and the girlfriend has to work with her recent ex-boyfriend. Oh no. I know. It follows all the tropes. It follows them all. I really liked the format of this book. I don't read or watch a lot of true crime cases law and order, things like that. But it was fun to read it. And it was fun to read with press releases and printed off transcripts of communications between the characters, between the characters and the computer. That was a very unique way, I thought, to read a book. And the reader has the advantage of knowing that the events are over, but you don't know what's happened because of how it's released to you. You know, everything is given a timestamp. Everything is shown as they're going through the case files. So one thing that you think is true this whole time, you'll get a transcript that says, oh, this was happening on another ship at the same time. Uh, Some of the conversations between the characters are blacked out because the authorities thought it was either inappropriate or deemed unnecessary for the case. So you're getting redacted files. You are getting redacted files. You're getting information that has holes in it. Which is really cool. The front, the cover of the book actually, the one that I read had a plastic cover on top, and the plastic cover showed the blacked out portions. And then I think underneath that you could read the blacked out portions. Oh, but if you had the plastic clever. on top, you couldn't. And then underneath you could. That's so you've really got clever. the unreliable police authorities going on. And yeah, it's just really, really good. When I used this in the classroom, when I was reading it, I would use this as a good example of the different formats of writing, the different formats of reading that a press release is different than a text message conversation. Yeah. yeah. And then really I also cool. used it as you can't just take parts out. You have to read the whole. And even if a conversation is deleted about their previous relationship or where they're going out on a date, it's probably important and should be left in. Whether or not you think it should, it should still be there. So it was really cool. There were maps 
all sorts of stuff in there. So I, I enjoyed it. I think as someone who doesn't read a lot of space books, just because they're not presented to me, it was a mm. good one to get started with. It's really fascinating. And the whole series is out now, so you can read them all. Nice. The second Writing book that, that title I, down. Yeah, it was... <laughs> It's not one that gets talked about very often. I'm not really sure why, hmm. but it was really good. And it's got two, Illuminae has two authors and you really can't tell the difference between when one is writing and the other. They do a really good job of combining their writing to one story, which nice. is kind of hard to do. I agree. So the next one that I chose was The Martian by Andy Weir. I just really like his book. This is a film too. Yes. It is a film. Yes. So the book was published in 2014. It feels like it's been out forever, but it really hasn't. Hmm. I know. I thought it was older than that. Do you know the backstory of how this story came around? No. This was a thought experiment that he wrote, I think as a blog of what would happen if this, like, if you got stuck, how would you work your way through this? It was like his own choose your own adventure as a thought experiment that got turned into a novel. You know, the book kind of reads as a choose your own adventure though. Yeah, I feel like the way the character goes through his problems is like, well, if I do this, this will happen. If I do this, Uh this will happen. Let's pick one and find out. There was a short story prequel that was published in 2015 with a title that I will not repeat, but is amazing. There is a disclaimer in the short story for language. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in the short story, but I still want to read it so badly because it goes into the main character and why he's there, like his backstory. And as you read The Martian, you get really attached to Mark Watney. He becomes your person. There was a movie adaptation that was released in 2015. And that's the one with Matt Damon. Right. That everyone loves and has seen. Cool. When The Martian came out in 2015, in 2014, it won a few awards, including the Alex Award from the American Library Association. And that is given to books that are written for adults, but have appeal to young adults, 12 to 18. So obviously Andy Weir's thought experiment went well because it's written mm-hmm. for adults, but appeals to everyone. Well, and they have two versions of this one. They have the YA version and they have the adult version, which is basically the YA one just took, I think, all of the swears out of it and left the rest of it intact. Um, Yeah. I haven't read the YA version because I felt like the adult version was okay. But knowing that all they did was take out the language that, I mean, okay. Yeah, I'm positive is the only difference. And I've seen the YA version. Yeah, as far as I know, that's the difference between the two. Hmm. So (laughs) I was just looking up what the prequel's name was since you didn't want to say it. I just don't know if we are allowed to say those things. <laughs> I mean, you can. It's it's a proper title. Warning, um, words are coming. Go. The prequel story is titled The Diary of an Ass Cam. I just want to read that. <laughs> that's fair. Like after reading The Martian, I just really need to know also, what dad joke that's connected to. <laughs> apparently, in November of 2017, Andy Weir put out a follow-up to The Martian titled Artemis. Mm, no. No? No. No. Don't read that one, no? Or no, you don't need to know We'll that. get there. We'll get there. Hold that. Oh. We're going to put a pin in that. Don't let me okay. forget. A pin don't has been put. put a pin in that, okay? So The Martian, the book that I chose, <laughs> follows... <laughs> The character Mark Watney during his adventures on Mars. So he lands on Mars with his crew. Dust storm comes in. His crew evacuates thinking he's dead and leave him there. And so he becomes the Martian. So there's the reason for the title. Uh, He's not dead. And then he tries to survive on Mars while sending communication back to Earth, telling them that he is alive and asking for rescue. He is a botanist and a mechanical engineer. So the things that he focuses on while he's trying to survive are not your typical survival skills. They're more focused on plants and things. He -hmm. is not well-equipped to survive by himself. He's really not, but he works everything out. Uh, So many bad things happen to him and he 
finds a great love of duct tape while he's on Mars. (laughs) There's so many dad jokes. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But he figures all this out. And two parts that I just get me every time are that he saves his own urine to water his plants. Because again, he's a botanist. And then he figures out fertilizer from his poop. And I think, yeah, my kids would enjoy reading that. They would think that's really entertaining. The book is very accessible. There's a lot of scientific information, but it's easy to get through. There isn't too much that you think, man, I should really be an engineer to read this. I mean, there's an engineer that lives in my house and I think he would probably like this book less than I did because he would want more information. Mm. That whole getting too bogged into the tech is a big problem with a lot of science, like sci-fi space yeah. books. You have to be very niche to to do that, and right, it's not. It's it's not like you said. It's not accessible. Yeah, and this one is super accessible, making you think. Yeah, if I were on Mars, I I might be able to figure that out. If I had enough of the tools and enough time and enough positivity, sure, I could work that out. The story also goes between Earth and the rescue mission and then Watney on Mars. He keeps a log of his activities. And while Earth is worried about his psyche being alone on Mars, he's worried about his tomatoes and just (laughs) kind of living his best life on Mars while they're trying to figure out how to rescue him. I would not say that Artemis goes with this one at all. At all. I have read... I looked up Andy Weir in preparation for this, and he has written quite a lot. He's only had three novels published, but he's branched out into all the things. And his three published novels do not go together at all. Hmm. They're all space novels, but, but that's not... where the parallel. That's where it ends. Yeah, they're all standalone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I read Artemis thinking. This will be like The Martian. It was not. Did you not like Artemis or is it just very different? Of his three novels, that one is my least favorite. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. And it's not one that I recommend to other people. I think Artemis might have a second book coming out, maybe, Hmm. but I didn't enjoy it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. It just wasn't as relatable as the other ones. So my last book is his last novel, Project Hail Mary. This one came out in 2021 and I read it immediately. Like I said, I've read all three of his published novels. So I just pretty much read anything that he publishes at this point. Project Hail Mary, according to the internet, is maybe going to have a film adaptation someday, maybe. I feel like you can say that about most books. Yeah, but I think this one might actually be under contract. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't see a ton of information, but I saw enough for me to think that it maybe is actually going to happen. Cool. And the book just came out. I mean, it just came out in 2021. So we'll give the people some time. Uh, Much like The Martian, Project Hail Mary follows a lone crew member in space. Uh, This one has Ryland Grace and he is on his ship the whole time. He is awoken from a medically induced coma because, you know, they had to be asleep for the beginning of this trip out into space. And then he and his crewmates are scheduled to be awoken at a certain time. And he is the only one who wakes up. They've had machines taking care of them and their function for the last however long they've been asleep. And he is the only one that wakes up. Mm -hmm. And as he wakes up, he has lost his memory. And so he's trying to figure out what happened to his crewmates, why he's here, what's going on. But Ryland Grace is an astronaut. He is an engineer. So he does know what to do. He does know what to do on a ship. So he just kind of starts doing what he's been taught to do, what his instincts are telling him to do. And then he slowly remembers what happened to his crewmates and what his mission is. So the mission we find out is that the humans on earth are facing extinction and he and his crewmates were sent out to 
find the answer to save the human race. Interesting. They only have a set amount of time and they've been sent to find the answer. And as he goes through space, trying to solve humanity's problem, he develops a friendship with someone or something. And I can't tell the rest because it's spoilers, but the Martian is full of dad jokes. And this is like a buddy comedy. Uh It feels (laughs) as you were explaining. As you were explaining the premise of this book, it felt like the TV show Dark Matter meets the movie Passengers. Am I alone in this? Sorry. You are. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Uh, Passengers is the one with um, Chris Pratt, where he wakes up. I could see Chris Pratt being in this on a starship, Mm -hmm. and he's trying to. He's an engineer, and he's trying to figure out how to get into the control center to figure out why he woke early and why no one else did. Is that a funny movie or a? thriller movie no i don't oh, think that one's a funny one because i remember I mean, chris pratt has seen... some funny lines in it but it's very okay. much not a comedy and then dark matter is a spaceship where the whole crew wakes up with no memory of who they are or what happened so it feels like passengers meet okay okay i can see that i can see that okay i can see that okay just so that i'm not alone because no, no, I, I can this, envision I it like... and now i'm seeing chris pratt as ryland grace and that just works in my brain just so thank you oh fantastic i'm so glad i could help with that <laughs> Yeah, so it's just full of, he just, he makes friends with this other, and you think there's no way, there's no way they can work this out. Like, there, there's just no possible way. And they do. And then they start having inside jokes. <laughs> and it's just, that's awesome. It just warms your heart. And there, again, with like with The Martian, there's a lot of scientific information, probably more so in this one than in The Martian. But again, it's still very, very accessible. In the end, he has to make a decision. Ryland Grace has to choose between two outcomes. Option A and option B. Option A and option B. (laughs) And there are both good things both good things. And he chooses an option because he had to. And then there's a chapter that shows how everything's played out. It's not an epilogue, but it's written very similar. And that made me happy because there aren't any cliffhangers. You know how everything ends up and it ends up okay for everyone. My only issue with this book, and a lot of people have said this online, is that they really wanted Mark Watney to come back, the character from The Martian. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's because he's such an amazing character. I know, because everyone loves him because he's just such a good, entertaining guy. But so is Ryland Grace. It's okay. It all works out in the end. Okay. And I wouldn't read Artemis again. (laughs) (laughs) That's as far as my love for Andy Weir goes. Two yeses and a nope. Got it. Uh Uh-huh. Two yeses and a nope. So I feel like that could be its own podcast. Yeah. Two yeses and a nope. (laughs) We could do that. We, we could. could. It could be we a should make it Listeners, please tell yeah. us. Find us on social media. Let us know. Two yeses and a nope. <laughs> All right, Nia, what do you have in your stack? So with how excited Sydney was about dystopian, this is how I feel about space books. <laughs> and I don't think I realized how much I love this, this particular genre until I was like, what am I picking? And instead of narrowing it down, I made my list bigger. So that's, that's how you know that you really are a true lover of the genre. Yeah. So hopefully we can revisit this one again so that I can dig back into my my giant list in the stack. But I narrowed it down to three. They're all series because that's just kind of how I roll. It's true. Um, Well, I've noticed with space setting books, they tend to be series. I think you kind of need it because you spend that all that time world building, you kind of want to be there a while, you know? Yeah. yeah. It takes time to explain. It's hard to explain a setting and a story in one book. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the first one from my stack is called Star Risk Limited. It's by Chris Bunch. 
It came out in 2002. It's a military sci-fi. So it's what it's classified as. And I say that, but what it is, is you have this group of misfits who come together and create Star Risk Limited, which is a security firm that can come in and do things independently. So you need security for something, you hire them. It, it's kind of a, it's a mercenary group, but they have their own qualms. They have their own little backstories where you're like, you are definitely a swindler, but I like you. I think we can make this work. <laughs> High charisma um, role. Yep high charisma role, but it's not all men. There's very strong women in this as well. This is probably one of my favorite book series of all time. There are four books in the series. I had to replace my print copies with eBooks because I could no longer repair the print ones anymore. I ran mm -hmm. out of all of my abilities to repair the bindings and keep the pages from falling out. This is the one I go back to when I'm so busy. I need to read something, but I can't have something I get sucked into. I can pick up this set and read wherever I left off and then put it back down. And is it because it's just easy to pick up and put down or is it because you've read it multiple times that you just know what happens? I have like for read a this first time reader, probably 20 times through. Okay. Wow. I love this. So series, as a first time reader, would it suck you in and just like, yeah, cause you to lose a weekend? Yeah. And it's very fluffy. Like you, it's very sarcastic. <laughs> it's very it's like military sci-fi, but it's fluffy. It Those is fluffy. Words always like, go it, together. It's, and it, it, yeah, it's listed as military sci-fi. And I put that there because you have a lot of guns and you have a lot of battles and you have a lot of like, it's military sci-fi. I guess the way you could say that Star Wars or Star Trek could be considered military sci-fi. There's okay. that military element. It's this setting, is not hardcore. The plot. Right. This is not Starship Troopers military sci-fi. This is <laughs> this is something else. So, and that that particular book is a whole different stack discussion. So we're just gonna put that away for now. But yeah, this one it's just the characters are really, really good and really pull you in. And you don't have to have a full grasp of how space works. Like they travel in space, but they and they explain it enough to be like, here's my consistency in the world, but you don't have to, you don't have to be an engineer to follow it. So nice. it's very people driven, it's very plot driven, it's very you get a really good twist at the end of the first book. Oh, they're so good. So that I'm I'm going to stop myself or I will go on and on and on. I, I'm loving watching your face as you're describing this book though, because you are genuinely beaming. <laughs> yeah. The enthusiasm that is, that is coming. is just amazing. This series got me through some hard times of like hard work stuff or school stuff where I'm like, I'm too burned out, but I need something. It was my escape series. I love this series. So book four, I will throw this out there. Book four does not have the same feel as the first three. And I don't know why. So if you like writing that, like, I love the characters and this is kind of buddy, buddy, and it's really whimsical. Like, well, I don't even know if whimsical would be the right word. Book four is when everything comes crashing down and they have to face consequences of another big group that you get introduced to in the first three and it ends well, but it is not the same feel. So okay. if you like the, the lighter feel, stop at book three. If you want the resolution go through of book four. go through book four, it's worth it. I will read book four, but my favorite one are probably the, my, I, the, my favorite one is the first one. And then I really like the second book as well. Those are the ones I've reread the most. My second one is Quarter Share by Nathan Lowell. It was published in 2007. It started as a patio book back on patiobooks.com back in ye olde days. He a actually- Patio book? Explain that for our so, friends that have never heard that term. Yeah, I've never heard that term as me. before. Okay. I have no idea yeah. what a patio book is. Mm -mm. So we're going to throw back. So ye olde days back when podcasts were still very, very new. There was a site called patiobooks.com and it was a place where authors could self-publish the audio versions of their books and get them out there and do a wider audience. So did the authors typically read their own books? Yes. 
Okay. There were a few that had a little bit higher budget. T. Morris was one of the grandfathers of the site. He has some big books out there. Now he talks about how to create your own podcast. Like he has become a a staple in the industry. Scott Sigler has become a very big author. His books were completely shut down because they were they mixed genres too much and you can't have that and you won't have a following. He still releases his books in a podcast format. He will do ep- chapters every week. You can buy the audiobooks instead, but he believes because that is how he was able to get his career launched in a, as a paid author, he still does it. So this is the platform that Nathan Lowell started on and he now has a pretty big following too because of this. So it was, look, we're going to show, there was a big pushback from the, uh, oh, it was a sci-fi. I'm trying to think of what it, it was like the, the, the sci-fi authors group and I'm blanking on the name, but I remember reading this article and actually writing about it in one of my undergrad classes. He was the, he's part of sci-fi. He's part of like all of this stuff. And he called people doing this web scabs, web scabs. Mm-hmm. Ouch. What a name, what a thing yeah. to put after your name. Hi, my name is blank and I am a web scab. Yeah. But he was saying that authors releasing yeah. their books for free were web scabs yeah. because it was, you know, going against the way publishing works. Well, we needed to shake things up in the publishing mm-hmm. industry. And look yeah. what now look at it. Now look at podcasts. So mm-hmm. that's a whole fun rabbit hole. If you want to go down something, <laughs> I that's, that's a fun one to go down. But Nathan Lowell, I found it on that old website. He now has stuff on audible. It has been redone with a professional Um, voice person. Yeah. Professional reader, his book series. There are, so quarter share is the first in the trader tales. They are set during the golden age of the solar clipper, which is a type of ship that he talks about. It starts in the year 2351 and goes through, I I don't even know how many years it follows the trader tales follow Ishmael Wong and he's 18 years old. He's on a company planet. Think like company city where everything is run by the company and his mother dies in a flitter crash, which means he either has to find a job on the company planet, working for the company, join the military or join the trader fleet. Those are his choices because he has, he's 18. He's not, he has no skills. He's just finished like, you know, basic schooling and it follows him. Okay. He is able to get on a trader vessel. He's able to sign the articles and join and find, himself and who he is. And quarter share is the share he gets extra as a crew person on this solar clipper. So it's quarter share. The next one is half share. And the next one is full share as he moves up in the ranks. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. So this one's a space opera is the one it's designated as. It is completely (laughs) character driven. You get totally sucked into his story and the characters are very, very well done. You feel like you know them. You feel like they're your friends. You got to know these people and you get to experience these space stations and be in these worlds. And then from there he's written the smuggler's tales which follow two different characters and then he's also written the seeker tales which happen after the first six books and at the end of of the seeker tales they all come together oh nice and now i'm waiting for the next one because we're talking there's 12 books there and he's not done wow when does the next book come out do you know I don't know. So he's written a lot of different stuff in different genres. He's an author. When he publishes something, I buy it. I will absolutely read it. So that is, that is quarter share. I highly, highly recommend it. Double share, which is book four in the Trader Tales series. I actually used as a framework for some of my management coursework when I was doing grad school because it worked. That's awesome. I'm the kind of person that goes, how can I pull in a random fiction reference to make my grad school work more interesting? And that is what I did. So, and I bet your professors loved it. I would hope so. I bet they were like, Hey, that's something cool that we haven't seen before. Thank you. This is a nice change of pace from Mm -hmm. dry, boring management stuff. Yeah. Let's Mm -hmm. throw this in. So for sure, that's my second book. If you find you really like 
it. There's 12 books in this series. Have fun. <laughs> Highly recommend them. The audio is amazing. The reader is amazing. It, oh, they're great. My last one, technically you could call it a military sci-fi. It's a little bit of space opera. It is the Caiaphas Kane Hero of the Imperium books. I buy them in the anthology sets. This is book one through three. They're by Sandy Mitchell. They're Warhammer. They're, they're Warhammer 40k. So if you were a Warhammer gamer, these are for you. That's, um, so that's the video game, right? That Did the yeah, video game come first or after? The video game came first. You get the video game. You have the tabletop game. You have Warhammer is a huge industry. Okay. What does Warhammer um, 40k mean? It's just the world setting that it's in. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, are, I don't it's know like, Warhammer It's like the Star Wars world or okay. like, okay. yeah, that's okay. what it is. The only um, reference, the only frame of reference I have for Warhammer is the fact that Henry Cavill, that's his favorite game. And he talked about it for minutes on end on some talk show when he was supposed to be promoting a movie. It's people who are into Warhammer, really, really into Warhammer. I am peripherally into it. I love these books so much. I've read, I think there's nine of them I have read. The problem is I get them as eBooks and I just read them. So I don't know like how many actual individual titles there are. They are very Makes sarcastic. Sense. You have Caiaphas Kane, who is, you know, he's in the Imperium. He's part of the Imperium army. You have the humans that are out there who follow the emperor and the emperor. It's very... It's a little, it's imperialistic and you also have, it's almost a religious devotion to follow the emperor, but no one's ever met the emperor, right? Oh. And he's, you know, he's in this role and he has to do all of these things. He is a reluctant hero. He becomes a hero saving all of these different things when he's just trying to shirk his duties and get out of there, man. He doesn't want to be there. <laughs> and he ends up saving people. And you're just like, okay, this is a little shady. If you've ever watched Black Adder, you've got, you know, your main character and you have Black Adder and you also have his little minion who's like i have a cunning plan my lord he has a minion too so Aww. these are very fluffy books they're very fluffy they also have some very you know you are talking these are dystopian i almost picked this one for my dystopian stack and I'm really glad I didn't because I get to talk about it here. But you have monstrous orcs that try to eat people. You have these really scary metal like AIs that are trying to kill everybody. You have all this lost tech that gets worshipped by the tech priests because they don't, it's magic that runs it, not actually like tech skills because all of that knowledge has been lost because it's been set so far in the future. So this is fluffy. It's very fluffy despite being military space opera-y stuff because it's very sarcastic. So if you're looking for something, you can just pick up and read one of them. You just kind of go through, you can pick it up, you can put it down. It's very tongue in cheek. So sarcastic like Firefly would be? Yes. So fans of yeah. Firefly would probably enjoy this series. I would think so. I mean, it's a little bit more rigid than Firefly. Firefly is, these guys are in the Imperium. Firefly is on the outside of it but you have that same flavor of sarcasm. Oh, I like okay. these. I'll go back and pick these up and pick them up and put them down too. And there's aliens for those who are looking for the aliens. And it you almost identify a little bit more with them hmm. because there isn't that hardcore military, like we will follow the empire and they're just like greater good. We do things for the greater good. So that is, I'm going to stop or I'm just going to keep going. That is, that is my stack for today. Well, clearly your enthusiasm, it shows. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your stack with Sydney. What are you picking up next? So in the same vein of me talking about how Orson Scott Card is my favorite sci-fi author, he has a number of books that have come out very recently that I've noticed since the pandemic hit. So they either came out shortly before the pandemic or they came out since the pandemic hit. So I'm looking at The Lost Gate right now. I actually started it a few months ago and then life got really busy and 
I stopped caring about fiction and decided I wanted nonfiction in my life, but I have the audiobook now. So I think I'm going to listen to that in the evenings to pick it back up and have it as my wind down for the night. So I am reading a book called The Lost Gate. What about you, Annie? Uh, I don't read a lot of space books. Hence the two titles from one author. But in preparation for this podcast, I did pick up two space books that I'm hoping to finish this week. The first one I picked up is The Space Between the Stars by Anne Corlett. About 50 pages into that one, wanted to talk about it. But there was just a really big event that happened in the book and I thought I couldn't do it justice. And then the second one that I started is We Dream of Space by Erin Entrada Kelly. And that one was a Newbery Award nominee in 2021. That's cool. Yeah, so it's children's lit and it seems to deal with the space program in the 80s. Yeah, so I'm going to keep going with it. Let you know how that goes. I look forward to hearing about those in the sequel to our space chapter. (laughs) Yes, Yes. I'm so excited whenever we do that. right, Nia, what are you picking up this week? So a couple chapters back from our unfinished stack, we talked about Like Water for Chocolate was on my list and that has come in. I got it from Interlibrary Loan. So I will be reading Like Water for Chocolate and that is what I will be picking up. Awesome. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought. And we'll see you next time for our season finale when we interview author J. Scott Savage and take a look at the books in his stack. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack. If you read a book from this stack, let us know what you thought on social media. You can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com. One glance at a book and you hear the voice of another person, perhaps someone dead for a thousand years. To read is to voyage through time. Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm.